Hello everybody, good morning. My name is Sonam Agarwal and I am uh, one of the co-founders of the Vedic Roots uh, Montessori Academy and the Vedic Roots Elementary School. We're a school uh, based in Scarborough area in the GTA um, in Canada. And um, we are, um, we're based on the principles of holistic development for children uh, based on um, evolving on the principles of the Vedic philosophy of Panchakosh. And today I'm very happy that we have um, with us my very dear friend, Richa. And in addition to being my dear friend, she has <laughs> many nice credentials that make her the apt speaker for this topic. And I'll just, before we jump into it, um, I want to just share what made me think that we need to have a discussion about children and mental health, especially during these times of uh, COVID. Um, I feel that in um, many times uh, things about children's mental health or how things affect them get unnoticed and we usually just classify them, oh, he's having an off day or, you know, he's just uh, very demanding and he can't cope up with change and things like that, he or she. But I feel there's um, a deeper layer to it. There's more understanding. Uh, there's more that needs to be understood as to why people act the way they do. And it's also applicable equally to children. Actually, in some ways, it's more applicable to children because as adults, we have hopefully refined tools of communication that we can tell somebody, you know, I'm not doing okay, or I need some help with something. Can you help me? But with children, they don't really know how to reach out for that help and how to express what's going on inside of them. So that's why I felt it's um, it would be really nice to get you, Richa, and just discuss um, about children's mental health and how as parents, as educators, we can be more aware of what's going on and offer help in a timely manner and um, you know, just uh, evolve as a community together. So with that, I'm just gonna um, let you introduce yourself and tell us about a little bit about you and um, what you've been um, doing all these years studying about children. Go ahead. Thank you so much. Um, what an awesome opportunity to speak about something that um, in a weird sort of way I'm obsessed with. I love talking about children's and, and children mental health. Um, it's a field that I've been in for quite some time. I think this is my 10th or 11th year being a behavior analyst, but I'll just kind of get into it. So I do have a degree in um, psychology and sociology from the University of Toronto um, with a specialization or an emphasis on child psychology. I kind of had two interests going into university, very, very different ones, forensic science and uh, forensic psychology <clears throat> and child psychology. And as soon as I got out of university, I tried out both. Um, some people who know me for some time know that I tried out for the RCMP. And at the same time, I also tried to enroll into um, autism and behavioral analysis um, to see what I would like from either one of them. Um, as you can see, the RCMP, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, I didn't really work out for them, <laughs> but I did get into the program for autism and behavioral science. And um, since ever since I've just enjoyed uh, working with specifically children with special needs um, and with that autism. And uh, I've been doing this for the last 10, 11 years. So um, I really do enjoy the field. Um, and with that also comes the fact that um, I'm also a behavioral therapist. That's the kind of technical term that I I'm under, and what that means is that I use uh, the principles of behavior analysis, ABA, which again, for some people that might be a very familiar term, 
for others it isn't, but what it boils down to is um, I use the principles of behavior, um, specifically looking at reinforcement, consequences, and how that affects our behavior. Now, of course, in my field, it reflects deeply on um, how I work with children with special needs. But the great thing about behavior analysis is something that you know you can actually use across you know different um, uh, different people, different circumstances. Um, and in some way, shape or form, we kind of use those principles ourselves without knowing. So it's a very intuitive science. But all that being said is that I've been uh, steeped in children's mental health for quite some time. Um, I further on, I've actually recently started uh, working in the realm of mindfulness. It's a term that obviously we're hearing a lot of another buzzword, um, but it's a great field also that works intuitively with mental health as well. And what I'm really trying to focus on is using mindfulness with um, not only the children that I work with, but what a lot of research is showing um, is how mindfulness actually helps the whole family. So this is a great way for parents to also uh, be part of um, their child's lives. So that was a lot. Um, what I guess I wanted to start off after saying all those things is that um, during this presentation or this discussion, there are some things that I can talk about and there's some things I can't talk about. Um, and I guess I'll start off with the negative and what I what this presentation is not going to do. Um, we are not going to equip anybody <laughs> to diagnose or assess their own children's uh, mental health on a very, uh, I would say, clinical way. Um, there are professionals who do that. I'm not that professional per se, but um, there are people out there that do do that. And that's, that's their realm. And I would never want to hop in on that. And then I guess where we really want to take off this discussion and, um, you know, Sonam already spoke about it is that, you know, we're in this kind of pressure cooker situation with COVID-19. We're now over, I think almost a year since um, the first diagnosed person in Canada, at least. Um, and, you know, we're continuing on with this lockdown and what that means. Children's mental health isn't something that should be a scary word or mental health in general should not be a scary word. Um, it generally means a state of well-being. It's actually a very positive term, but we end up using it in a negative way or we bring it up when there is a negative situation, just like COVID. So we want to equip parents in this discussion to be able to, um, you know, we're our, our children's best parents. <clears throat> and we want to be able to um, provide our children a safe place, um, a place where there isn't any judgment for them to open up about their feelings, talk about what they might be going through. And it might sound silly to talk about that about young children, but it's certainly a skill that if we're developing at a young age, it can develop into something um, that you use when they're older. And when such things like um, serious mental health disorders or serious mental health concerns start to show up um, at a later time, usually teenagers. And, you know, I won't talk about the scary terms at that time, but there are some things that are very prevalent during that time. And if we're able to equip ourselves now as parents with um, knowing when to uh, sound the alarm, when not to sound the alarm, when to, you know, step in, when when to allow things to flourish in your child's life, you know, we'll be better equipped for those times. <clears throat> I really like what you said, Richa, about 
um, equipping parents because sometimes, and like you said, rightfully, you know, at such a young age, thankfully, we don't, most of us don't worry about serious mental health challenges. But by the time things really start to get real, it's almost too late to develop that relationship or develop tools for parents. So I think um, discussing it, creating awareness about it in a community really helps uh, equip parents and just have, have safe spaces for children mm -hmm. to um, express and feel heard. Absolutely. And, you know, just on this conversation of mental health and kind of uh, the taboos around it, right? We, as I was mentioning earlier, mental health is, is not supposed to be a scary word. It's a, it's a very safe and happy word. <laughs> Um, but what comes with mental health is certainly the taboos that we bring to it ourselves as adults. Um, you know, we're shaped by our culture, um, the cultures that we were steeped in, the way our parents dealt with mental health. You know, some of us have heard from our parents, well, there was no such thing as depression during my time. Um, you know, what's anxiety? That's just nothing. You know, you just need to, you know, toughen up or yeah, develop yeah. thicker skin. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and in some ways, Certainly, we want to acknowledge that, you know, we come from certain cultural backgrounds, we come with our own um, emotional baggage when it comes to things about talking about mental health. You know, uh, culture has a way of affecting how we perceive symptoms, right? Um, someone uh, who is aware of their own mental health might be able to see that, you know, I'm not feeling the same way that I usually do um, for a certain amount of time. And yes, I need to sound the bell, I need to ask for help versus someone else who might come from a different culture and might have the same symptoms and deal with it in a very different way that I need to brush it off. So we come up, we come with our own coping skills based on our culture, based on our gender, so many different variables. But the biggest thing to kind of overcome that, the simple solution is just to talk about it. Um, and it doesn't have to be a um, very clinical discussion. It doesn't mean you have to go right away to a therapist and start talking right away. I mean, just opening up and being able to be vulnerable with even, with even those that are closest to you, family members or, or your dear friends, that really, really helps. Um, and again, I just really hope that we can, you know, I'm not that one discussion is gonna certainly change the world or anything like that but really want to um, have more discussions like this and continue this kind of snowball effect of wanting to talk about mental health in a positive manner, in a constructive manner that will, again, at that time when we do really need to speak about mental health, um, it's an easier discussion than, than we anticipated. Yeah, thank you for that, Richa. And I think, um, you know, like we said earlier that we're, uh, this is just situational that because of COVID, this topic of mental health has come up so much with such prominence, even though it should be spoken about and discussed all the time. So which leads me to my next question. Could you, mm -hmm. uh, what is your research? Like what is, uh, is it real? Is COVID really affecting mental health for children? Like around Canada, what is, what, uh, can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, it's interesting. The research, um, as you can imagine, as we're progressing through a real time pandemic, there isn't a lot of research to kind of back up or, you know, kind of looking at the more scientific side, you know, uh, very well done research. But what they are noticing from looking at countries like Italy and Spain, who went through COVID um, at a much drastic uh, pace than, say, here in North America, and also 
looking at um, countries like China or other countries that have had, you know, like say the H1N1 pandemic as well, going through, um, you know, research through there, they're noticing that certainly it has an effect. There's no question about it. Um, specifically, they are seeing um, increased rates of um, depression, anxiety, and PTSD or post-traumatic stress syndrome. Oh, sorry, disorder. <laughs> and um, what they're noticing with all that is that, of course, on a clinical level, they're seeing that increase. But more importantly, um, I think on a more real or practical level, um, you know, of course, not everybody's going to have anxiety or depression because of COVID-19. Um, it's not to scare anybody in that way. It's just showing that it's a lot more prevalent than we anticipated for during this time. And, you know, it's kind of twofold. There's one side that, of course, you know, the clinical side where we're seeing, you know, more children being diagnosed. But on the opposite side, there's also an increase of kind of, um, I would kind of call them like precursor symptoms, mm -hmm. right? There's more, there's an increased rate or like um, in the research, uh, the uh, reports back from children and their parents saying, suggesting that, you know, they notice their child being more worrisome or more irritable. Now, we all know children can be irritable <laughs> and most times they probably irritate us more than we irritate them. Um, so looking at that research <clears throat> and trying to mine through it, I would say that on a general level, we're seeing an increased level. There is an, a, there is an increased concern. And specifically in Canada, it is of concern. We already have issues with, um, you know, how Canada in general on a governmental level is approaching children's mental health. So we're kind of already at a disadvantage, unfortunately, um, especially when it comes to socioeconomic status, um, also based on race as well, which is really unfortunate um, that we're seeing even lower levels of um, children's well mental health. So it is of a concern. And the crazy part of it all is that Unfortunately, we don't know what the long-term effects are, right? We don't know what the long-term effects of COVID-19 as a disease is going to have on our community, what to speak of it on a mental health level. So it's with trepidation that we're, you know, trying to assess and trying to see what that actually means for the future. But what all the research is trying to say, of course, it does sound scary, <laughs> but what the research is also trying to say is that let's equip ourselves now, right? Let's not allow to see what's going to actually happen one year down the road, what's going to happen when schools do officially open up um, and not in like kind of the, the quasi mode that we're in right now, but when it's, when our communities start to open up, we shouldn't wait until that moment. Um, you know, there is pressure on governments to kind of step up and be able to build a policy. And not that I'm a pessimist when it comes to politics, nor do I want to, um, you know, color this conversation in, in politics either, but it might be some time before that really kicks in. And um, I just wanted to take a moment for every, anybody who's listening in right now that, you know, just take the moment to realize that yes, it's serious, but there are things we can do. Um, and maybe some of them I can take a moment right now to kind of set the scene, so to speak, as to what's going on during this time um, for children. Sure, go ahead. 
And so, I just to, can I just add one question is that, you know, a lot of these terms, because you uh, clearly are a professional in this field, sometimes people like me, you know, who are just like parents and educators in some way, shape or form, we don't understand what they mean. For example, mm -hmm. depression, anxiety and PTSD. But when you spoke about the precursor symptoms, they make it more real for us, you know, like, hey, this is something I notice and this is something that I can tangibly see in my child. So I was wondering also, maybe you're already planning on doing it. If you can mm -hmm. touch upon, you know, how do I see it in my children? Like in my children or my, uh, my friend's children or our community, like what are, what are things or symptoms that tell me that the child is stressed or disturbed or in depression? Certainly. And yeah, I do hope to kind of go through that because it's, um, again, you are your child's best parent. I'll say that over many times, but you are really equipped already to be able to assess and analyze your child's behavior before anybody else does. Um, so I certainly will um, have a chance to do that. I guess what I wanted to do um, before we kind of get into that point of wanting to really look at practically what does that mean, you know, let's take a look at what COVID-19 means for our children in the first place, right? Yeah. And I think, again, I would, I see it in twofold. One is the actual pandemic right? Our children are sponges. They realize what's going on even without us talking much about it. And that's probably the scary side of it because, you know, their minds work in very extremes. Um, you know, they might take some of the reactions that you might be having about COVID-19, the discussions you might be having with your spouse or your significant other, and um, take that on in a deeper level. So I'll talk about that and then I'll talk about the other side. But from a, from a um, superficial level, it might mean, you know, again, children are hearing things from news, um, from their friends, from online schools when they're having discussions. Um, and a lot of children are coming back with the feeling of um, despair or hopelessness. Um, it can also come in the form of realizing that, you know, my germs that I normally, you know, my mom and dad talk about washing my hands is now something that could actually be deadly or it can affect someone much stronger. And from our side, from, a, from an adult perspective, we're able to kind of decipher that and know that, okay, if I, you know, follow the certain guidelines, you know, I can try to prevent, and you know, I have a, I have a plan, so to speak. But for children, that could be a very extreme thought that my germs can have that effect. So that kind of is, is a thought process that maybe our older children who are you know, going to are like school age children might have effects on. But for, um, you know, for our younger children, um, I would say maybe like two and onwards, their environments are changing, right? We have now parents who might both be at home working from home. We might have parents who are say essential workers that are not able to interact with their younger children as they normally do. So a lot of things in their environment are changing and not necessarily for the good, right? Um, you might also, as parents, um, you know, unfortunately some people have lost their jobs. Some people have, you know, had to change their profession. So those things certainly have effects on our, on, on our younger children. But for our older children that might be going to school um, and where again, we might see more of the, the um, symptoms or the indicators that they're getting stressed out due to COVID-19. Um, you know, for older children, again, it is a change in their environment. And we can go as far as to say that it's kind of um, a, uh, 
combination of their environments. So whereas, you know, their normal routine was to go to school, that's a separate environment. And then now coming home, I get to relax. Both um, settings for, for children that were going to school on a regular basis, they're now, they're, these two environments have now mushed up together. And on top of that, that includes the expectations um, of that both environments hold. Um, so, you know, I, I always think of this example that, you know, a child at home, if they, you know, their regular routine is to clean up their dishes after a meal, you know, um, you might have that opportunity in both environments, right? If you're at school, you might have to clean up your area where you're having your lunch. Um, and the consequence or what children get at the end might be different in both circumstances, right? At school, you might get a chance to go for free play. It's you're reinforced, you are rewarded for doing so. At home, I mean, you're not getting a cookie or you're not getting free time every time you um, clean up your area. So expectations are different. And at the end of the day, home is supposed to be your safe place. Home is supposed to be the fun place. Whereas school, you have a very um, a certain level of expectation of how to interact with your teachers, with your friends. At home, you're not supposed to. <laughs> you're supposed to have fun. You're, the rules are relaxed. So now when these two environments come together in one place, expectations are different. The way you are receiving your reinforcement throughout the day, and reinforcement um, is not necessarily um, a physical thing that you get a cookie or something like that, but just the natural occurring reinforcement that you get for doing activities throughout the day. And of course, for kids, it's very much task-oriented. Um, it's, it's very different. So now that they're all in one place, um, the expectations of what I'm supposed to do is um, uh, from my now my parent, who in some ways now have become my teacher as well and my disciplinary and you know my lunch provider and all these things. Um, so uh, it, it becomes very complicated for an older children. And this is where the um, uh, the... I would say the uh, build up or kind of the breakdown starts to happen of, um, you know, now I have all these different expectations and, you know, what happens here. And, and in one, in some sense, we're living under this weird bubble. Everything gets magnified in a different way. Um, there's also, there's less activity. There's less social experiences. Um, you know, you as a parent, as much fun as you can be, you're not the same as a peer in that sense. Um, and uh, there's, you know, less opportunities to learn those social skills as well. So that's a lot. And again, I'll give that moment for all of our parents who are watching in or, or you know, well wishes of, of other children in their communities to take that moment to kind of let that sink in. because That's a lot for a young child to take in at one time. Um, and what to speak of so many other variables that could be going on um, that are external, that are, are, are also affecting a child's environment. So though there's not enough research, though there's not a complete picture of what's gonna happen in the future, what's important is that, um, you know, we're able to look at this kind of uh, ecosystem or look at our own ecosystems and kind of see what are the variables that are affecting our children. Um, of course, if you're able to diminish any of those, go right ahead and, and you know, whatever you're able to do in your, your own, um, in your own bubble, so to speak. But um, the more awareness that we have about what's going on in our child's life, it makes it a lot easier to understand 
some of the weird behaviors that might be popping up right now, um, as opposed to kind of chalking it up to like you were saying Sonam before, like, ah, oh, this is just a phase or, you know, it was just an off day. Um, it just equips us with just a bit further to go like, maybe I need to probe this a bit further and see what's going on. So that's just kind of, I would say overall, what could possibly be going on for our children. Well, thanks for laying it out like that. You know, I mean, I have two kids, as you know, and uh, one of them was affected very much because he was at school and now he's been home for almost a year now since mm -hmm. and just laying it out and seeing it like that really makes me think like wow you know things have changed for him and sometimes because I'm so busy in my own world like getting my things done mm -hmm. and my work done and getting you know the routine together that I just brush it aside like what is your problem anyway you know you have everything <laughs> so but wow that's really um yeah that was something to just see it out like just imagine the change for them yeah yeah and it's it's on a very uh, different scale right like things like this type of thing we are uh, equipped as adults or we hope that we're equipped as adults to be able to navigate right um some of us have again have changes in our career right now because of COVID-19. We might be working from home. We might be, you know, having to switch jobs or unfortunately maybe in a situation where you're looking for a new job. Um, but we're built or we've built ourselves in such a way that we're able to cope with that. Um, but children, they're not supposed to have equip be equipped at this point to have to do yeah. it. And um, with that comes a lot of confusion and underlying confusion that might be pre being presented in a different way. So how does it look like, Richa? Like when my child is stressed out? It's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting because, um, you know, for let's kind of go backwards, right? As teenagers, again, may not be able to always express themselves, but we hope that they have the vocabulary to kind of be able to express themselves. And as we get younger and younger, it's pretty obvious that they don't always have that vocabulary. And one thing is to have the words but to even know that I should be defining my feelings in a certain way, right? Um, you know, children can certainly express very um, superficially their expressions, right? We know that young children or young babies, they're able to express, you know, through smiling, they might start to feel embarrassed. Um, I'm seeing that now with my 14 month old that like, you know, she's starting to feel, show expressions of embarrassment. So they're able to express on a physical level. But when we're starting to talk about feelings like hopelessness or worrying, um, they're not, you can't really express that on a physical level, right? So innately they might have that ability, but when it comes to expressing those real feelings inside our hearts, it's, it gets starting, it starts to get a bit harder there. So with younger children, um, stress or, um, you know, this worrisome kind of feeling starts to show on a physical level. So I would say like younger children, like around, again, the ages of two to three to about six, even a bit older, even seven, eight. Um, and again, depends on individual child. Um, you might start to see symptoms such as, you know, bedwetting, unusual bedwetting, right? Of course, children do wet the bed, you know, on, on you know, some type of uh, schedule or, you know, might have, you know, some ability to do that. Um, but uh, I'm, we're looking for unusual kind of uh, behavior patterns. So again, bedwetting, um, stomach aches that again, aren't really found in kind of, you know, if it's not something to do with food, it's just coming out of the blue. Um, things like uh, changes in appetite or sleep. Now, 
appetite and sleep, of course, we know sleep regression. So you don't want to confuse it with that. But we're looking again for very different circumstances. Um, what can also come up in, in other physical ways is, you know, new fears that are coming up in children um, or unfounded fears. Uh, might be, you know, of course, we're used to our children coming back to us and saying that, you know, they're afraid of the dark, they're afraid of the things that are unknown in their circumstances or in their environment, underneath the bed, and all those, but it can now start to come up in, in very different ways, something that they would not have been fearful in the past of has now come up in this new manifestation. Um, we're also seeing fixating on worries, so um, fixating on um, unfounded worries that don't go away with um, logical reasoning with your child. Um, we're seeing resistances to changes in schedule, irritability. Again, these sound such like big things, um, but um, extreme disappointment when things get canceled. That's a that's a circumstance that's coming up quite a bit now because um, you know there's no certainty as to when this is going to end. And depending on where you live, you might be in a lockdown. You may not be in a lockdown. Um, you know, so when they can hang out with their best friend or go over for a sleepover, no one can tell right now. Um, it can also come up as low energy, lack of excitement towards certain things that they enjoyed in the past. Um, clinginess or like not being able to separate from their parents on, um, as they normally do, that can all pre also present themselves. Now, going through this kind of list of symptoms. And again, it continues to grow and grow and grow. But what we're looking for is three different things. We're looking at persistency. So how long does this last, this duration? So for example, clinginess, you know, is it the normal, I just don't want to be away from my parent? Um, or the fact that, you know, now that, you know, you, if you're living or sorry, if you're working from home and you're around your child more often than they would uh, if they were going to school, there's probably a little bit more like, well, I'm comfortable being around my parent now and I want to be with them. But persistence would be that, yeah, it takes them a lot longer. There's a, um, you know, uh, sorry, there, there, a lot more is going on or the duration is a lot longer. And then the second part is the intensity, right? How much is this um, a reaction going? So again, with the clinginess, um, is this now bursting out in tears without being able to console them? Uh, you know, it's 20 minutes, you have to go in anyways and still be there with them. So those are two major things is persistence and intensity. And the third thing that I certainly like to add into it is that, is this behavior impeding on your child's ability to deal with situations on a day-to-day -day basis? So if it's coming to a point where they can't move on further in their routine and their schedule for the day because they're still fixating on something. This is a concern. Does that mean that this is a full-blown anxiety or depression or other mental disorder? Not at all, but it's certainly a concerning um, symptom or concerning um, situation that you want to start assessing right away. So I'd like to give the example of, um, just to understand this whole impeding on our child's daily life. For example, um, going to the park is a regular thing that they enjoy. Um, they uh, love playing on the swings and the slides, um, but over this course of a month, they start to have a unrealistic fear of dogs or an unrealistic fear of cars. 
I might get hurt by a car. I might get run over by a car. Um, you know, they're too fast for me. I don't want to be near a car. And it starts to impede them even wanting to go into the park in the first place because they're worried that they're going to come across a car or they might come across a dog, whatever their fear ends up being. So a very excitable, very um, reinforcing, very happy um, experience of going to the park becomes a very negative experience now. Um, and because not because they don't want to go to the park, they want to go to the park, but now they have this new variable, new fear that's stopping them from wanting to go play at the park. And that's of concern because usually, um, without sounding, you know, kind of crazy, but children are self-serving, right? They want to do things, their, their lives are, they're the center of their lives. We're just living in their situation. So when we look at that type of behavior of, of a fear taking over, um, it takes away from the sense that this child wants to do something that's appealing to them um, and that this fear has now come in place. So I used a generic, um, you know, fear here of, of a dog or cars to kind of illustrate this, this point. But this might look like, you know, I'm afraid that I might hurt someone if I go to the park with my germs. What if other kids will hurt me with their germs? Um, it might also not have anything to do with COVID. You know, their fear might not have anything to do with it, but now it might just be a fear of something that seems like it's coming out of left field. So there are varying levels of all of this. Um, and no one's saying that you should now start writing down every symptom that comes to mind. Oh, you know, this one time they had an, you know, a fear of, I don't know, cheese. I'm just using a silly example, but you know, they had an unfound fear of cheese. And, um, you know, this means that they have a mental disorder. I need to get to my, my pediatrician or my psychologist right away. I need to work on this. The great thing about children is that they're resilient. And it's that's why they're a great demographic to work with in the first place, because, um, you know, on a simple level, uh, they're able to forget things that we, you know, we've told them and um, or like, you know, we think that they're affected by certain things when they really aren't. Um, you know, we think that we're really horrible moms or dads. And uh, because we weren't able to do this one thing, but they're really happy with something else. Um, and the research actually does show that there are certain techniques that you can do at home that could actually help um, alleviate a lot of the stress and actually reverse some of the things that are going on. Um, that doesn't take away from the severity that, of course, if you are, your child is going through a very severe time, um, you know, of course, you can do things at home, but you should be seeking help and support to kind of help you through the, through it. And as I said before, and I'm gonna keep on saying it over and over again, you are your child's best parent. If you feel that something is not on par, something that is um, doesn't make sense, or you just have your mom's gut, it might not be scientific, but it's shown enough times that it is effective and it is real. A mom or dad's gut or a parent guardian's gut um, can't be denied in certain circumstances. So if you are feeling that this is these things that I'm talking about are like what you're seeing on a daily basis, get the help. There is no question about it. Um, yeah, I think that's where I'll stop there. <laughs> no, I just wanted to reiterate you, you give a really nice, I mean, you give a nice list of things that could be precursors or things that we may see as common people. 
that may uh, indicate that there is some kind of a internal challenge going on. Mm -hmm. And uh, but I liked how you kind of qualified by the three things that you said: the persistency, the intensity, and whether or not it's impeding your child's ability to move on with the day. And I think that's a good uh, thing to keep in mind for parents. And the other thing that you've been repeating is how you're your child's best parent. And I really appreciate that too, because every child is really different. Every family mm -hmm. is different. And for my child, I know for mine, definitely like, you know, there are certain behaviors that are really reflecting that he's not okay, but it's like, it doesn't qualify like that for another person. Like they may read it differently. So I think it's just being in tune with your, exactly. with your child, with your own self. And I find that really even though that's really not the topic for our discussion today, but I find it really missing in our society today because we're so busy, like rushing, rightfully so, you know, times are like so, so tight and so unpredictable that we're just like going on <laughs> without being in tune with ourselves, let alone being in tune with our child. So um, yeah, I think just kind of magically, if I were to prioritize something for my child's mental mm -hmm. health, that would be to just taking take the time to observe and connect with them. You know, maybe you're gonna say all that in a minute, but I'm just <laughs> it's good. It's it, it makes the, the whole presentation seem very seamless. But yes, absolutely. I just feel like because you're saying it so much, you know, all of it is about observing, about being able to talk, being able to understand that it isn't something that somebody else from outside is gonna come and fix for you. It's something that we as parents need to develop ourselves. Um, into, you know, like on-call therapists or. <laughs> Absolutely. And it also goes to like, I think you were kind of touching upon it is that, and I do want to address it later on is that um, our mental health has a very direct effect on our children's mental health. Um, and research is showing that too, that children who's, um, when they were uh, addressing both parents and children, um, parents who who marked themselves uh, lower on a scale of mental health were correlated to their children's mental health. So meaning if, if a parent marked themselves like on average, parents who were marking themselves lower in their mental health state, their children were also showing very lowered states of mental health. Um, and so I find that mental health are talking about these things. It's not just equipping, of course, we're in a role as a parent, we have, um, you know, direct um, responsibility to our children to kind of be able to be in tune. But I think having these discussions also inadvertently helps us as well as, as adults and as parents, because we have our own mental health needs. Um, and so I think this is an important practice, not just for our children, but I think a great exercise for us to also assess our own mental health. And, um, you know, I think overall, just having this opportunity to talk about it um, just starts to, you know, build this awareness. And another point that you brought up as well about, um, you know, your own child, you know, when I'm saying these things, fixing, fixating on worries, some children are worrisome children and that's okay. That's part of their personality. Each child has their own nature. So it's not that this is a cry for something that's underlying, you know, your child best. Um, and if you don't feel equipped to, uh, to understand fully, maybe you still feel like, yeah, 
my child is a worrisome child, but I'm, I've always been concerned about it. You know, there are certainly resources out there that can help with dealing with it, with, with, you know, specific things like that. You know, the internet, Google has become our best friend in that way. Um, but there is a lot of great professional help out there too. And again, I know I, I might have sounded not so, uh, cheery about the government, um, but there are some great resources the Canadian government provides in an unbiased way that allows you to kind of um, have those tools to kind of work with. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, this is a long laundry list of things, but we're really, what I really, really, really want to emphasize is those three things. If you're seeing um, the persistence of, of that symptom or that um, condition or situation um, or behavior, sorry, I should say, um, if you're seeing intensity in that certain behavior, and of course, if it's impeding on your child's ability to, to just function on a day-to-day -day basis, um, if it's getting in the way of, you know, you, you and your child getting through the day, um, and your regular routine, and you're having to say cancel things or, um, <clears throat> having to adapt on a very different level or, you know, canceling the day, so to speak, that's of concern. Um, but there are strategies that you can work with, which obviously leads us to our next part. <laughs> you know, I was going to say, you know, um, yeah, let's, let's go into the strategies and some tips, helpful tips, which without getting into too much technicality, parents mm -hmm. can take away and get be empowered to, you know, facilitate that healthy, mental health? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing that I take away from from all the research and all the things that I've been looking at is that we are our child's uh, most significant influencers, right? We have the ability, they're with us the most, even <clears throat> they're going to online school or even before COVID, um, you know, we are certainly the person that they see the most. Other people may have, you know, impacts throughout the day, your their teachers, their peers, um, their grandparents, your relatives, they might all have an effect on your child, but you at the end of the day have the biggest influence. So it certainly puts quite a responsibility on our shoulders, but I think it also gives us quite a bit of control um, and what we, what we can provide it or sorry, what we allow in our child's um, life and what we, you know, try to avoid. So starting off with the basics, talk about COVID-19. Um, I think it's important that you have the control, you know, in marketing, you know, they always talk about you have to have the control of what's going on <laughs> and what's being said. In this circumstance, you're doing this, a similar thing. You want to talk in very simple terms. You want to be honest about what's going on. Um, not to the point where you're scaring your child in any way, shape or form, but you want to be open and honest about what's going on in the world. And, you know, um, there's a lot of uncertainty. And as a parent and as an adult having to deal with COVID-19, taking away the part that you're a parent and have dependables, is that you also don't know what's going on with COVID-19, right? And when we're honest and open about that with our children, that we are also struggling on a certain level too, um, it doesn't take away from your position as a parent, as an like, you know, authoritative person that, you know, what's going on. It just gives your child that ability to understand that you also may not have answers, but you're navigating it together. And that sense can be very helpful in a situation that, you know, we're both, and, and no one's expecting you to be able to bring certainty to your child's life. You're just helping them tolerate the uncertainty in life. So that I think it's a huge difference, right? No one's asking you, and I don't think your child has that 
um, you know, uh, expectation of you that you're going to, you know, magically change everything because you really don't. Um, but you're just helping them and helping yourself tolerate the uncertainty. That's what we're all kind of doing during this lockdown time um, is tolerating it. And I think that simple change in our mindset um, can really help us now be on a collaborative, collaborative level with our children versus, oh my God, I have to have everything figured out on my end before I start figuring things out for my child. And that added stress is not needed. So again, you wanna talk about COVID in very simple terms. You wanna limit um, other outlets of information as much as you can, right? I think news or watching TV or not that, I mean, I'm not here to judge at anybody on what they do as far as their screen time, that's um, individual families' decisions. But when it comes to news and knowing that it can be biased in certain ways, it can, you know, the numbers can also certainly, they're, they're jarring for us and they're scary for us, what to speak of a child who thinks in very extreme circumstances. So as much as you can try to limit it, um, you know, some kids are interested in news and are able to filter through. So you know your child best in that sense. Um, but I would say that the best idea is to limit and then also inform them of how you're keeping your family safe. What are the practices you're doing at home? So it could be like, yeah, mom, mom and dad, we only go out for grocery shopping. Or, you know, if we go see our grandparents, we make sure that we wash our hands beforehand and we're waiting 14 days before we see them again. Whatever those rules are for your own household, um, try to be as clear about that with your children so they understand that there is some type of plan. Again, we're tolerating the uncertainty. Um, we're tolerating what we have. We're, um, you know, making lemonade out of the lemons that we're given. So this is how we're doing it. Um, and then I guess the strategies, I kind of kept them to like about five of them. There are several other, um, you know, strategies that you can use, but I thought that these were the most effective. So first and foremost, um, keeping flexible routines, not schedules. I think it's a huge thing. We talk a lot about having um, routines and schedules for our children, and I think of them as two different, I mean, sometimes we use them interchangeably, but I think they're very two different concepts. Um, schedules is more time-driven, that, you know, things have to be done at a certain time, Routines are just things that we need to get through to, through the day. It follows more um, like general or more natural um, forms of time. Like, you know, you like brush your teeth, sorry? Like a sequence? Yes, like a sequence. Like you brush your teeth in the morning and then you have breakfast. Um, if that means that they slept in until 10 a.m., you know, that's okay because the routine is still going to be that as soon as you wake up, you brush your teeth. So that sequence of things. And what we're noticing and what we see on a regular basis that, of course, patterns and routines certainly help children with predictability. That's what we're trying to instill um, is predictability. But we don't want it to become a new form or a new place to kind of worry, mm -hmm. right, or fixate upon that I was not, you know, 10 a.m. is when we're supposed to do this. We have to do this. And there's no other way about it. Um, we want to remove that and just work focus more on the sequence or the routine of what we're doing through that day. Provides the predictability without the ability to um, fixate unnecessarily. So I think that's a real simple way that you can start off your day or your, you know, one thing, again, what I said before, it helps us inadvertently too, right? We have a routine that we're following. It makes it a lot easier for yourself to kind of know, okay, this is what we're doing next. This is what we, you know, have established with our children. And throughout these strategies, um, you know, collaborate as much with your children as possible, right? 
make that schedule together. Um, sorry, the routine together um, and, uh, and have them also be a part of it. It provides them a sense of control or a, a sense of I'm part of this and no one's um, you know, pushing these routines on me. Um, and then the next strategy that I, I, I kind of deemed as expression, and I kind of included a lot of things in here, is that, you know, at school, there is an opportunity when, again, when children are going to school, there's uh, so many different opportunities of expressing oneself, right? We also do that too with our hobbies, um, any side, you know, businesses that we might be doing alongside our other interests, you know, that we, we need time to express ourselves. We need time to um, have a release and being at home and not um, with our peers, um, with our regular environments at school can have, you know, a severe effect on that. So things like um, arts and crafts, you know, being um, able to use their hands and kind of, you know, get into some, you know, gooey stuff, some slimy stuff. I know <laughs> for parents who like clean houses, this is like, you know, a disaster waiting to happen, but just an ability to express. Of course, we're gonna work on um, children having to express themselves emotionally. But when we have these things at school, you know, of course, they might be seen, we might not see them as important uh, subjects that our children learn. But what it really does is help them express themselves and release a lot of the tension, release a lot of, um, you know, what's going on inside. Because again, our children work on a very physical level. So again, things like arts, exercise is a huge thing. Living in Canada and during the winter months, it may not be the most, um, you know, applicable thing or most easiest thing to do during this time. But even just, you know, having a simple walk around the block, you know, maybe even using your backyard, whatever you can do, even inside the house, there's several things you can do as far as exercise. It is a great release of a lot of energy. And um, as I mean, I only have a 14 month old, but I've seen children who need a lot of time to, to get out a lot of that energy. So as much exercise as you can get in. And then the other two strategies or part of this kind of expression kind of uh, strategy that, that I've kind of put together is that, you know, there's one thing about releasing a lot of that energy, but we're also wanting to um, a chance to kind of calm ourselves down, having a chance to soothe ourselves. We as adults do it, right? Whether, you know, again, a buzzword of now is self-care, right? What does self-care mean for everybody? And in some way, shapes or form, we're looking for that for our children too, right? We want them to be able, self-care edits, you know, removing all of the commercial side of it. We're hoping that self-care is an opportunity to take care of ourselves. And um, what better time, and again, we're in this weird pressure cooker situation, we're having a chance to teach our children about self-care. Um, so if burning a candle for you is self-care, that's great. But now let's help our children explore what that means for them. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the effective research-based, um, you know, uh, strategies include things like yoga, things like meditation. Again, it's, these seem like very buzzword, um, you know, buzzword uh, strategies right now, but they're real and they're really actually very helpful. And, and there's a lot of research going into children's yoga. There's a lot of resources out there, what to speak on YouTube um, of, uh, you know, great uh, exercises and great uh, yoga, you know, practices that you can implement with your child, um, as well as meditation and mindfulness. And 
alongside children's mental health, mindfulness is my new favorite thing that I'm obsessed with and, and love talking about. Um, and the reason why I even got into mindfulness in the first place was to see how it could really affect the children that I work with, specifically with special needs. And again, research is starting to really blow up about what mindfulness can do to help. And mindfulness at its you know, complete core of things is just talking about how to be uh, present in the present moment. Um, we all know how that feels to be on the run constantly going from one thought to the next, you know, thinking 20 steps ahead even. But the act of being present in that in one moment itself or focusing more on the process than it is on the result um, can really be soothing and very calming for all the things our children are going through um, throughout the day, including ourselves. So um, I think there's one side of getting that energy out and being able to express themselves in a physical way, using their hands um, through yoga, arts, exercise, but then also equipping our children with calming and soothing and self-care strategies. Um, again, we do that on, on our own basis. We also need that time down. Let's start teaching our children the same thing. So first we talk about flexible routines, not schedules. Secondly, expression, giving opportunities and outlets for our children to express themselves. Three is now dealing with the expression on a more um, internal level. How do we get our children to talk about their feelings? And I'll probably spend the most time on this side is that um, you, know, you wanna have regular check-ins with your child and that can start super young. Right, That can start at the age of two or three or whenever your child is able to kind of have that conversation or an ability to have that conversation with you back and forth. And what we're really trying to get at here right now is that we wanna develop this skill of your child being able to one, name and express their feelings. Uh, I read yesterday, um, if you can name it, you can tame it. So if you can name the feeling, you can tame the feeling. Um, so. Do our children always have that ability to um, express even like, you know, if, if any of the parents out there have teenagers, um, you know, even getting a two word response out of your teenager might be a lot, even when they have the vocabulary. So this is it's, it's an effective tool, regardless of the age, but you want to start as soon as you can. And again, it's a great strategy to have anyways, right? Would, who wouldn't want to have a meaningful conversation with their child or have the ability that when they're going through some stressful situation, COVID or not, they're able to kind of speak to you. So what does that mean? Um, does that mean, how is your day? <laughs> is that a regular check-in? Certainly can be part of it. But when we're really trying to um, name and express our feelings, what does that come out as? Um, you know, picking a right time to have that conversation. Having a discussion at nighttime may not be the best time because they're winding down. Um, you know, having a lively discussion may not be the best way to get them to sleep. And it's not going to help you in at the end of the day if now, instead of eight o'clock, they're now riled up and now they're not only going to sleep around 10, 11 o'clock. So you wanna pick a time when, um, you know, they're certainly calm, they're doing an activity maybe, that's, you know, a very low impact activity. Or even just a time like around dinner, that might be also another great time to have a, a regular scheduled check-in for the day. And you want to keep your questions open-ended, but also specific. So what that could look like is asking, what was one fun thing you did today? Right? It's open-ended. It gives the opportunity for the child to kind of open up about what they did during the day. Um, and it's specific enough that it's just talking about today. It's not talking about yesterday where, you know, something might have, you know, set off their whole schedule. They were really upset yesterday. 
this is just a time to talk about what was one fun thing that happened today. It could be, what are you looking forward to tomorrow? Again, open-ended, but specific. And we're not trying to get breakthroughs at this time, you know? We're not looking for, I am feeling very upset because of blah, because we might not always get that, but we're just building in the routine that eventually when things do get a bit, you know, stronger in the future, um, you know, when they're older, that because you're having these regular check-ins, you've created this atmosphere of where you can ask questions and they can answer and they in turn themselves can ask questions themselves and you can answer that you're building this report with your child on a different level right it's one thing that you are their disciplinarian or their authoritative person in the, in the household but now you are a person that you can that they can collaborate with they can work their things through with um, you also want to validate their feelings before giving answers so what does that mean it means that when they're expressing that I feel very excited, or I feel really sad, or I feel whatever the feeling is, you're not jumping in and saying, well, <laughs> we should do this, this, and this, and this. First, take the time to validate what they're feeling. It could even be something as simple as, yeah, I feel that same way when I'm put in that situation. Or, you know, your cousin mentioned that too, who's of similar age or something, that you want to give them the opportunity to understand that what they're feeling is totally fine without judgment. And then you can step in with, let's brainstorm together, right? Let's figure out a way together to kind of establish this. And of course, the benefit of doing this at a time when, you know, their guard may be down or that they're not, um, you know, in the middle of something else, this allows for that time to collaborate on an effective way versus, you know, um, when they're really upset about something, right? You don't want to, you know, sometimes when kids have a huge outburst, we want to deal with it at that moment but they just might not be there at that level on a physical level or on an emotional level to handle it at that time. So if you are trying to, um, what's it called, uh, work through a situation that is, you know, say they had an outburst early on in the morning, you might wanna give them some time to breathe, calm down, get through the whole situation, and then be able to kind of assess it later on. Um, and then, yeah, help them name the feeling. You know, they might be going through something, they might have an outburst, they may not know how to. If you've seen like um, police interrogations, right? you know, you, you try not to um, be biased or you try not to give them too much um, that they're not making the assumption themselves. You wanna give them enough space and time and, and possible words that might be effective to help them name that feeling and, um, and then go from there. And then the last thing I'll say is welcome questions, right? You might be asking a lot of the questions to kind of uh, propel the conversation in a certain way, but allow them the space to, to ask questions as well. Um, it's a great opportunity and a way to get insight from what they're thinking internally. And so that, that's kind of doing the regular check-ins. I think it's a huge part of it. It's a great skill to have regardless of COVID or not. The last two strategies that I think kind of go hand in hand with already this check-in uh, process is developing plans together, right? A lot of what's going on in our child's lives is that they're feeling um, hopeless. They're these never statements that get stuck in their mind. You know, um, if they ask, let's, can we go outside for, you know, an X amount of time and you say, well, it's cold outside. Um, you know, it's a bit dangerous to go outside right now. We can't go to the park because, you know, maybe they've shut down the park for whatever reason in your, in, in your area. Um, it can start to seep in that 
I am never going to be able to go to the park. I am never going to be able to do this. <laughs> and um, those never statements can be quite harsh for a child's mind and um, certainly increases this feeling of despair or hopelessness. So developing plans together means um, when you're in that collaborative state with your child, um, developing plans that are obviously in your control. So the instance of a picnic, going out for a picnic or going outside to the park, you know, we're not able to go out today for whatever reason. And, you know, you can explain that as honestly and openly as you can, but why not, let, why not have a picnic inside? Let's have a tea party inside the house. Why don't we set up a picnic, you know, um, uh, blanket on the floor. We'll open up the space um, and we'll invite all your stu stuffed animals or we'll invite your friend virtually to join us or we'll make a special snack and you can help mom and dad make it. So there's all these different strategies. Now, that doesn't mean you go over and bound and you, know, you uh, go to Michael's and buy all the party supplies that you can find and now it's adding more stress to you. That's not the point at all. We wanna build, when we're developing these plans, we're also including you in it. You should develop a plan that works for you as well, works for you and your time schedule. If you're working from nine to five from home, having a picnic at 2 p.m. and promising that may not necessarily work. But what we're doing with this developing plans together and, and, and this type of strategy is that um, we're teaching our children that when things don't go our way, we can make a new plan. And regardless of COVID, that's a great skill to have. We need to teach our children that, um, you know, that uncertainty does come plans don't go the way that we always want them to go so how do we how do we assess that how do we um work through that we come up with different plans is it what we wanted in the beginning no can it be just as fun yes so we're trying to develop those plans together and again the sense of predictability and control is really important for children so when they're part of the plan as well whether it's making a snack or they're making you know little invitations as a craft on the side you know um that's allowing them to be part of it and they feel some sense of control and then lastly one of the biggest points and i kind of touched with both sonam and i touched upon it earlier was ma managing your own mental health. You cannot give from an empty vessel, right? If you are not in a place where you feel um, mentally sound, it's really hard to provide that for your children. So as parents, we are typical and we're great at putting everybody else's concerns before, before our own, but COVID-19 is also having an effect on our mental health. And you know, there's enough research about that as well. Um, so please, please make sure about, make sure and make, and take care of your own mental health. And what that also does is that, as I was saying earlier, we are our children's biggest influencers and the best way we can influence them is by modeling our own behavior. So if you are put in a situation where you're getting upset and you are showing that you take, you know, three deep breaths or you count to 10 and you're dealing with your mental health or your situations with a mindful um, you know, perspective, right? Or you're um, showing how you are, you know, when you're dealt with a situation that's changed on you and you're adapting, these are great opportunities to model uh, good behavior to your children, good strategies to your children. So please, 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 it goes without saying that you have to make sure that your own mental health is at a level that 
can help sustain and provide for your children as well. So those are kind of the five strategies that kind of boil down. I'll kind of go through them again. Um, first, focusing more on flexible schedules versus routines, um, providing opportunities for your child to express themselves on a physical level, and also teaching them calming strategies, um, whether that's breathing, yoga, meditation, whatever they're interested in, try to kind of use those, um, their own interests to kind of propel you in a certain direction. Three, to have regular check-ins with your child to help them name and eventually tame those feelings. Four, to develop plans together with your child to again, provide them a sense of control and the opportunity to realize that when things don't go our way, we can adapt. And lastly, managing your own mental health. Um, provide, being able to take care of yourself and then model that those good behaviors and good strategies to your children is an extra bonus and also provides an opportunity to talk about it, right? You can bring it up that, you know, mom was really upset. You know, if a child explains that they were feeling really upset about a situation, you can say, yeah, I felt really upset at this time. What helped me was taking three breaths. Do you think that would help you in that situation? And kind of going from there. So that was a lot of talking on my behalf <laughs> and a lot of a lot of strategies and in, all encapsulated in, in those things, those five things. Um, but more importantly is that I'll say it like for the sixth, seventh time, you are your child's best parent, right? There's no one out there that's better than you for your child. You know your child best, you know how to advocate for them for the, in the best way possible, and you know how to get help for them when needed. And it's one thing to ask for help, but to accept that help as well. It's really important. Um, and I have a few final messages, but I'll stop there and you know maybe give it get a chance to kind of hear from you, Sonam, as well as what you're experiencing. Have these strategies worked for you or for your children at, at VRMA? Um, I mean, that was really very nicely done. I could I made notes. <laughs> I wrote down stuff that you suggested, and I think it's really powerful. And you know, like you said. It's, it's not, um, well, like we were discussing, it's not something that you have to go and get from outside. It's things that you can do within your reach to help mm -hmm. uh, maintain that smooth uh, environment. And environment meaning, you know, like you, I, I really love the point that you said that we're trying to help each other manage the uncertainty. You know, like, because sometimes we take on our shoulders this task of being a superhero where everything's okay, you know, like I'm going to take care of everything and you don't have to worry about anything. But I, I like how you made it real and you said that we just have to collaborate to make, help each other manage the uncertainty. I also appreciated your um, suggestion of having quick, having daily check-ins. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it made me reflect on the reason why I wanted to have this with you um, out on Facebook, you know, um, I know you're a very good friend and I could just speak to you at my own questions, but I think there is a tremendous need in, in our society, in our communities to start talking about building those connections as bridges mm -hmm. to help that child know and feel reassured that there is this one door that I can open when I'm not doing okay. But we have to lay that bridge out before the crisis happens. And Absolutely. I just feel like these small check-ins, this building the relationship is very, very crucial. Um, not just in COVID, but just in the society that we're living in, where all of us are living isolated lives. We don't have the benefit of having extended family and aunts and uncles and grandparents mm -hmm. all the time to take care of our children as, a, as one community. I think building those relationships really helps. 
I also, um, you know, appreciated the fact um, that you said how we want to equip our children with uh, this, um, you know, to navigate through the changes in their life. Like, you know, if plans don't work out, it's okay, mm -hmm. and it happens, but we can still have fun to develop that kind of uh, attitude in children to use, like, like you said, using the lines that life has given us to make well, you said lemons, <laughs> the lemons that life is <laughs> to make lemonade. And I think that's an attitude that we want all of our children mm -hmm. to develop. So using this opportunity to instill that confidence and that ability in our children is, is hugely important. And I can't overemphasize the final point that you said about taking care of your own mental health, even though, mm -hmm. like you said, as parents, as moms, you know, I am guilty of my, that myself many times that we put ourselves the last, but knowing that I kind of model it for my children puts all the emphasis on, on us here. Like somebody may, they might just be reflecting what we're doing. And if we can take care of our own health, mental health and our own being present, mindfulness, <laughs> that would impact uh, their ability to do so, so as well. So I really, really appreciate what you just shared with us like this capsule of research coded, uh, coated with practical tips that can empower parents. Um, we have some questions out on Facebook. Um, is it okay to take them now or what should yeah. we Yeah, I think yeah. just to just to summarize what you just said towards the end that like, um, it's just, you know, why not take advantage of this opportunity? Um, it sounds really uh, cheery <laughs> to do so, but I really feel like we're in this very weird, magnified uh, pressure cooker, instant pot, whatever is your, your mode of cooking. Um, you know, we're really put in the situation that is unnatural, right? It's, it's, it's artificial, right? Like we, who would thought that we would have been dealing with a pandemic for this long, right? So we're all in close quarters. We're in this very pressure cooker situation where there's a lot of variables. Why not use it to our advantage, right? Um, in our field, we always try to look for um, opportunities to kind of uh, manipulate, not in the negative manipulate way, but in, in a positive manipulate way. And I always think like, um, you know, some of the behaviors that we do inadvertently or us um, on a subconscious level, our children pick up on it right away. My 14 month old has now learned how to scroll on a phone and she uses her finger in the exact same way. I'm like, how, like, I don't sit there going, look, this is how you scroll on a phone, <laughs> right? So if we're showing our children um, great strategies as to how to calm ourselves down, how to deal with situations, can you imagine if they pick up on that, right? So let's use that let use that ability of children to be literal sponges and take in everything that we do, use that to our advantage. And at the end of the day, it's gonna help you too, right? A happy parent is going to lead to a happy child. A happy child is gonna lead to a happy parent. Let's try to do that as best as possible. So yes, let's go yeah. to this question. Yeah, <laughs> And if, you know, towards your last point before we take up the questions is that uh, in, um, so the school that I'm representing today, Vedic Roots, we, we, we are founded on the principles of holistic development mm -hmm. and we draw our wisdom from the Vedic texts. And there is a, there is a great importance associated with the role of a teacher, a leader, a parent. And to the point that you said, you know, how to children pick up things without us showing them. And our, one of our teachers, he uh, is known to say that as a teacher, you should um, act like a teacher and sometimes you should say something. So just to <laughs> highlight 
fact that you know the children are following what you are doing, not so much what you're saying. So how we manage our own behaviors and our own stresses really tells them how to do it rather than us just educating them about it through our words. With that, let's take some questions, Richa. For sure. Um, okay, I'm going to take them in the order in which they were posted. Mm -hmm. The first one I have is, is the level of stress age dependent as the psychological development progresses? This is considering a home where the environment is otherwise con conducive with no other ramifications due to COVID. Okay. So is the level of stress, I guess, age dependent? Like the stress that children experience, is that dependent on the age? Like, I guess, do children experience more stress as they grow up? I think that's the question. I don't know if it's necessarily more stress. It's just their presentation of stress. Mm -hmm. um, as far as intensity or, or the more part of stress, I think that really depends on, um, you know, your child's own nature and how they handle stress on their own level. It's, I, I, I understand where the question is coming from. It's just hard to define it in that way or in a, in a concrete way. Um, just trying to think how I can best answer this. I think, again, it's important to understand your child on their level um, without having to look at benchmarks of what stress could look like or what stress can, you know, be magnified to. Um, so, yeah, I would say that as they get older, see, there's, there's, a, there's an understanding of learning history. Right. The longer that you've um, dealt, uh, you know, dealt with stress again in the circumstances that we're talking about stress, the more if 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 you've had to um, deal with your stress in a not so productive way or not so effective way for a longer period of time, stress can then have an adverse effect. Mm -hmm. I'll try to explain it in simpler terms. If you don't have the coping ability or the coping skills to deal with stress. As you get older and older, when there are more opportunities for stress, as you get older, you're looking at, you know, uh, high school, college applications, um, peer pressure, all those things that are probably going to add more into the mix. Um, if you don't already have those coping skills, it makes it a lot harder to deal with that at that time when they are older. So it may not necessarily mean that they're having more stress or um, you know, uh, uh, the stress is more volatile. It's just that if they don't have those coping skills already, it might seem like that it's more intense than it actually is. Right. So if you're as a young child, if you already have those coping skills, as you get older, of course, you're going to adapt to the situations you're in. But as more stressors or different types of stressors come in, um, you're able to handle it a bit more effectively. I hope right. that kind of helps to understand that situation. Um, well, um, I guess they can message back mm -hmm. if they have further questions. I, I just also want to echo the point that you earlier said, because you know your child. So comparing in this situation, comparing their stress levels to what you would normally see would be a better benchmark than saying, than trying to compare their developmental because even with other things like, you know, their academic stuff and education, like we, it's hard to set benchmarks and compare them because each child has their own journey. So for something that's so supple, like mental health, mm -hmm. that it would be very hard to compare with external benchmarks. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I just 
she, she responded, she said, thanks, that answers my questions. Thank you. Bad. Thank okay. you. Um, how do we help children who are growing to teenager, growing as a teenager during the pandemic? How do we identify the symptoms? Maybe you covered a lot of it, but you can just, and this question came in before that. So maybe you can just summarize. Yeah, I think um, the same kind of symptoms that we were talking about, they certainly apply um, because they're they're generic enough in that sense that they, that they apply. You know, the irritability, the worrisome. Again, you're gonna see a bigger presentation of it or you're gonna see a huge lack of it, right? Um, mm -hmm. as, as they get older and um, different stressors come in their life, it becomes harder to decipher on their level, especially if they don't have those skills already, right? So again, going back to that point of, of knowing your child on an individual basis, are they a child that normally, you know, expresses themselves in, 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 in articulate ways? No, okay, this is a time to really start digging in and, um, you know, starting afresh and trying to see where you can kind of help them. I think with teenagers, um, again, I don't have, a lot of experience with with um, teenagers. I have more more of my experiences with you know school age children, like up to the ages of like 12, 13. So um, uh, please take the, what I'm saying with a grain of salt. Um, but I think with with when children as they get older, you know, they certainly might have the vocabulary to um, say what they need to say. But what I think as parents, our role is in that situation or at that age group is to be in a sense of helping. You know, even just saying like, look, I'm here to help. I'm not here to solve everything because it's not possible for me to do that. That's an unrealistic expectation, but I'm here to help. Mm -hmm. And I think that mindset, though it's gonna take a lot longer to instill um, because once they get to teenager levels, you know, independence is, is crucial for them in that age, um, but, if you're just there to say like, look, I'm here to help. I'm not here to intrude. I'm not here to tell you what to do. But if you are feeling something and you need help with it, please, you need to open up. The scarier side, or like, I guess the more intense side of teenager, um, you know, uh, age group is that, you know, certain, um, you know, self-harm, those kind of things become a lot more serious. And as, um, you know, a psychologist or a practitioner of psychology or whatever, I, I, I think it's important to say, and I think we should say this more often, is that if you are hearing things about self-harm, you need to ring the bell. I know that this isn't necessarily what the parent was hoping for, or like, or maybe this question was more on a generic level, but I think it's still important to say something like that, that um, in this, uh, you know, concern or this, um, you know, uh, opportunity to talk about mental health, it means sometimes talk, talking about the scarier side and the more real life, you know, implications of, of not so great mental health can have on our children and our teenagers. So in this, in the context of a teenager, I think it's really important to look out for such signs like that. Again, it's it seems really intense that I'm I'm saying that, and it's kind of taken our conversation a bit in a different way. But it's it's important to talk about that and be open to it and and know that that's a possibility. Yeah. I think it's important to be real in our mm -hmm. conversations because, um, and it kind of alludes to the point that we had discussed earlier that in some cultures, um, you know, there's not so much open discussion about all of this stuff. And I feel given the society that we're living in, like the current times, it's mm -hmm. important that we start talking about real things. And like you said, maybe the parent 
intended to just ask a general question about symptoms, but we've used that opportunity to bring about this very important point. So um, if with that, can I move on to the next one? Because Certainly. there are questions coming in so quick. <laughs> <laughs> so what are a couple of ways to let your little one, one to four-year-old know that we as parents acknowledge how they feel, especially when they're stressed out, when there's a tantrum, etc. I give them hugs, but they just want the cell phone. <laughs> oh, I, and again, I, I, it's nice to hear these things because I know that that's what's going to happen in the future. <laughs> um, yeah, I think when it comes to acknowledging feelings, um, especially for that age group that you're talking about, one to four, I think visuals certainly help out a lot. Um, you know, uh, some parents actually implement like, um, I know I, I saw that recently at a hospital, they have like a pain scale and it's like, you know, different smiley faces with like, you know, really sad face or really happy face. Um, I think visuals have a great, this is a, I mean, I use it in my field all the time. And I think it's a great way to acknowledge and, you know, gives our, our children a concrete, tangible way to go like, yeah, that's how I feel. It helps them in the future too. So visuals is a great opportunity to use that. And of course, don't use your phone if that's what you're trying to get them to avoid. <laughs> um, and then, you know, a lot of what we go through is reflected in our children, right? So if, you know, we talk a lot as, as adults, we talk about love languages, right? We talk about we, uh, I mean, I'm, not, I'm not going into like, obviously the specifics of love languages, but, you know, we all have our own ways of coping, right? Some people prefer, prefer physical touch. Others prefer, you know, words of affirmation. Like, yes, I hear you. So it might mean a bit of trial and error and seeing what works best for your child. Like you said, maybe, you know, it's, it's for them, it might not be a physical touch thing that like, you know, here's a hug and they don't know, oh, I really want a hug. I want your, your, your phone. I want something that's more reinforcing or not more reinforcing, but just you know, more active that way. Let's try to find other things that might be, maybe that's what they want is they want something tangible. Okay, let's try to figure out something that's tangible that's in the realm of what you are wanting them to, to have. So if, and again, I'm using very crude examples just to kind of illustrate the point. But if, you know, if your child prefers something that's tangible, maybe that means that they want a cookie. <laughs> I'm not saying that that's, that's what you should, you know. Or some time to. with them. Like it happens with my children. Like they want to play, you know, that's their, like, exactly. that's what they want at that time. Yeah. And, and they might just want your attention and it, but you know, maybe they're getting more attention out of the phone. So there's that conflict, conflict of, uh, uh, of, uh, you know, expectations, right? Like at least with the phone, I get, you know, I get to zone out or I get to whatever it is. I think it just means taking that extra step to decipher what exactly interests them at that time um, and replacing it. So if, again, you don't want them to have the phone, which is a totally normal expectation of you as a parent, it doesn't reflect on you on a bad way that, hey, I'm not giving my child what they want. It's now leading to a different tantrum. I'm trying to find something else that works as effectively um, that's in the realm of what your child wants and more importantly, what you want. You want to be able to give them something that you feel okay with doing. Okay. Well, you know, we still have more questions and I would love mm -hmm. to take all of them, but I'm also conscious of time. So what I'm going to propose, Richa, is that if you could, after the talk, you could go to the Facebook Live and answer the questions if sure. you feel like that feel appropriate, it is appropriate. Many of them are generic questions and you can address them and I, I I just want to use this the next few minutes to kind of conclude uh, mm -hmm. have a summary and 
we spoke about, if that's okay. And I'm, I'm sorry for those of you whose questions we couldn't address directly, but Richa is, well, I volunteered her to, <laughs> to respond to the questions and we'll do that right after we end the broadcast so that you will have your answers right away. We're also, um, well, if you have more questions, you can also put them in the comment section and we can see how yep. we can help you further. Uh, I just wanted to, the reason why we wanted to have this discussion, because by any means, you know, it's not com complete. There's so much that every word and every strategy can be expanded into. There is actually no limit. We could probably have like 10 more sessions and still have more questions, which is a great thing because what I wanted to achieve out of this session really is to create that awareness that, you know, there is such a thing as uh, mental health <laughs> in children and that there is, um, it's important for parents to recognize it and uh, to try to understand things from their perspective, how they're experiencing things. Uh, the world around us is very different today than it was last year. Mm -hmm. And we don't know how long it's going to be different for. And uh, while it's a, it's a really sad and tough situation in many ways, we want to use this opportunity to see what can be made out of it, you know, many families are probably experiencing more family time than they have ever experienced before because everybody's forced to be together mm -hmm. or you know it's more stressful than it has ever been before because of all the uncertainty but if we try to use that situation as a teachable moment to identify and develop life skills that would help our children so that they can you know look back and say hey i was there when the pandemic hit and you know what we learned this, this, and this from the pandemic, and it was a rewarding experience. So kind of in, instilling that faith. And that was the first primary purpose of doing this. And then also to learn some practical tips, which I think, Richa, you did an amazing job in uh, summarizing some of the very powerful strategies and um, you know sharing them in very simple words, because sometimes this jargon of mental health gets too much and it's like, what? You know, like just feel good at the end of it. So I really appreciate that you broke it down so much for all of us to understand and appreciate. I just want to check in and see if you have any final words before I conclude. Yeah, I think um, at the end of the day, we want um, parents to be feeling comfortable enough to navigate through this with their child or their children. Um, and it shouldn't be a scary journey, right? It should be a fun and enthusiastic and invigorating exercise to kind of do this with your child. Um, what what greater thing to push us through to, to bond with our children a bit better, right? That's what we want. We want to have healthy children at the end of the day, both mentally and physically. And, you know, you as parents, and I mean, us as parents, we, we strive to make sure our children are fed, they're, you know, clothed well, we do everything in our powers to do so. Um, and now, being put in the situation where we're now having to take care of their mental health, um, it's only going to strengthen that bond that you have with your child. And I think every parent aspires to have that and in, in some way, shape or form to have those strong bonds with their child. And um, I really, really hope that um, just this initial talk, whether you know it's at least spark the interest or spark that kind of um, motivation to kind of do this further with your child. And you know, some of us have really, really young children and it may not apply to us right now, but the more we talk about it, the more um, you know we're willing to talk to other parents about it. I think that's one thing I've learned in the very short amount of time that I've been a parent, that um, having supports with other parents, um, they don't necessarily have to be going through the same thing, um, but 
uh, I think that's one of the biggest resources we have is um, our communities and our ability to talk to other parents and being open and vulnerable to them. Um, I think that's one of the first steps that I've, I've enjoyed, at least personally, to kind of take care of my child's mental health and, of course, my own mental health. Um, so please, please, please ask for help and accept the help, right? The first step is certainly asking. Second step and probably the most crucial step is accepting it. So ask for the help. Um, be your child's biggest advocate. Um, you know, you know your child best. If you need those resources, you will get those resources. Parents are, are resilient in that way too. So um, whenever, it, it, the last thing I'll say is just that they, if you feel that something is off, it doesn't make sense to you, follow that feeling. And more times than not, it's right. Um, and, and seek the help that you need. Thank you so much, Richard. It was a pleasure to take our usual conversations out, out in the public. <laughs> <laughs> to, and I'm so sure that many parents are responding very positively on Facebook, uh, saying how much they benefited from your expertise. And I'm very grateful that you took your time. Thank you. And I'm looking forward uh, to having more of these out yes. here on Facebook. <laughs> And um, so, so all of us can grow together, really. Thank you. And for everybody else, uh, this um, webinar discussion was brought to you by Vedic Roots. We are um, a holistic school located in Scarborough in um, Ontario in Canada, for those of you who are signing in from outside. Um, we're based on principles of Vedic develop personality development for children. We have an in-person school, which is um, semi-open during the corona the COVID situation right now we have a preschool and we also have online programs for preschool age um, for elementary as well as after school programs or weekend programs where we incorporate some of these activities that we just spoke about we have a lot of emphasis on hand skills um, that help children cope up with um, just the internal dynamics yoga meditation and um, other types of mindfulness um, activities in their daily lives, along with all the academic stuff that they need to know. Our aim is to really create a revolution in education to actually change the way um, most people think about education as memorization of facts or developing skills, but actually to develop personalities that are res resilient through the thick and thin that the world around us provides. People who are happy from within, who don't get um, swayed by the temptations or the rejections of the world outside and um, if you haven't already done so please check us out on Facebook or visit us when we um, hopefully we reopen soon and we look forward to serving you thank you again Richa and we'll speak Thanks to you all soon thank you bye bye